to be known unless we grasp the depth of our freedom and unfreedom, unless we give up fictions about our purity or innocence and become committed to searching out those we exclude and suppress, creating with them the promised community of mutual gift. Reading from Knowing Jesus by James Allison. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. When the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Very truly, I tell you, You are looking for me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For it is on him that God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to perform the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, What sign are you going to give us then, so that we may see it and believe you? What work are you performing? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Looking back over sermons I've preached on this text before, I was a little bit surprised to see how much I sound like a broken record. That may not surprise you at all. Clearly, I react to passages where Jesus says, believe in me. We've covered it from a lot of different angles, from the evangelical trauma, maybe too extreme a word, angle. I learned growing up that belief in Jesus was utterly crucial. You must have faith or else. Demons and Satan and hell. 
But that's a little like someone shouting at you, you must not be anxious. It made me anxious. And I mean, do you really even choose what you believe or is it something that you learn slowly over time? Is it something you say or feel or do? I'll just say that being told over and over again that I must believe in Jesus didn't help me believe in Jesus. Maybe it helped me pretend that I can't remember. Another angle. Anyone who goes around trying to get people to believe in them? Not a great character, usually, as far as I'm concerned. The people ask, what must we do to be doing the work of God? And Jesus says, believe in me. Like, really? The work of God isn't to love your neighbor and be merciful and care for the world, but believe in you? What does that even mean? Like, you want devotees like Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh, Keith Rainier, Jim Jones, etc., etc. You want people to shower you with affection, swoon when they see you, kiss your feet? You want loyalty like kings and dictators and cult leaders? It doesn't seem trustworthy. No matter if there's something in their charisma that kindles hope, draws you in, makes you want to follow them, if someone says, believe in me, I'd say, run the other direction. And even if they don't say it, if they're smart enough not to quite say it, but you can tell that's what they're really all about, getting people to believe in them, don't do it. It's not healthy for you, and it won't be good for the world. Narcissists, con men, it's all about them. Needing attention, wanting to be rich or famous. Maybe they aren't even conscious of their motivations entirely. And and maybe there's a little Putin or Trump in all of us, I don't know. But still, if someone's successful at gathering a huge group of followers who believe in them, you should think twice or 500 times before you join up. But even though I still have this sort of knee-jerk response to Jesus here, I know it's not really him I'm reacting to. He doesn't end up with a private jet. His, his followers all abandon him. He's lynched. These are crucial parts of his story. Jesus says he's bread. refers to himself as food. There are actually a surprising number of places in the Bible that describe God as food. Taste and see how God is good. The psalmist says, God's word is so pleasing to my taste buds. I like that. But it is strange if you think about it very much. It's, it's an intimate metaphor. We put food into our mouths and on our tongues. Food mingles with our secretions and enzymes in deep parts of our body, parts we never even see ourselves, unless you stay awake during your colonoscopy. To eat is to mingle thoroughly. You become one with the food you eat. The food you eat actually becomes you. It's how you grow bones and flesh and brain cells and hair. The nutrients from the food you eat provide the foundation of every little cell in your body. Later, we'll take a loaf of bread, say it is Jesus' body, and we'll eat it. 
weird and beautiful. For Jesus to say, I am bread, it's, it's self-effacing in a way. To be food for someone means the nutritive parts of you will be absorbed and nourish the person and, and the rest will be eliminated, to put it politely. I may be taking the metaphor too far, but it doesn't seem like something Vladimir Putin would want to compare himself to. To be food would seem almost like the opposite of what a megalomaniac narcissist would want to be. It's generous. Absorb me into you and I will help you be healthy. I will become a part of you. Jesus didn't say he was donuts or Cheetos, thank goodness. Maybe, maybe broccoli would have been better than bread, but I like where he's going. I'm grateful for all the things Jesus says he is in the Gospel of John. Bread, light, the truth, the life, the way, the door. Because it helps me to understand that what it means to believe in him is on some entirely different level than like pledging your allegiance to some man who insists you follow him because he's great and must be worshipped like some king or lord. No, it's, it's more like believing in food or, or light. We need food to grow cells. We need light to see. Jesus says he is the way. The way. It's, it's not a self-aggrandizing egomaniac. It's a way. Movement. Life. Jesus perceives that the crowds, dazzled by the miracle of the loaves and fishes from last week's story, are impressed with him. They want to make him king. They, they want him to be their leader. So he goes away and hides. He flees, escapes the crowd. He refuses to be their king. And then comes back with this statement, I am bread. Like, I want you to understand something about me. I'm more like the food that feeds you than a king. It requires a significant perceptual shift for people used to believing in kings. What is God? Words can't explain, really. See how God tastes. God doesn't reveal God's self as a megalomaniac who needs people's admiration. What Jesus does is for us. He dies so that we may live. Which is not a sentence that's all that easy to make sense of, but at the very least, you know, it's not about private dressing rooms and personal fortune. It helps me to think of Jesus as food, light, life, the way, the door, more than Lord God Almighty. The bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus says it comes down, gives life. The lectionary spends five weeks on this one chapter in John, Jesus as food. In the verses we read today, Jesus talks about manna, the miraculous food God provided to feed the people as they wandered through the wilderness. And though it certainly wasn't immediate, the manna did begin to help the people learn to trust God. God cares about their hunger. 
Jesus points out that the manna isn't just a story from Israel's past. They can eat the manna now and live. He says it's him. He's obviously not a white, flaky substance that appears in the grass at dawn. He's saying he's the source of life. But what does that mean? We have life, obviously. I mean, you might say life is like the least common denominator of every living thing. We breathe or respirate or photosynthesize. So do we just learn to attribute this to Jesus? Is that what believing in him means? Life can obviously be quite horrible as well as beautiful. Is believing in Jesus just sort of being grateful we're alive and remembering life as a gift from God? Or is there something more? I mean, that's a lot. That's good. But I hope there's more. Like redemption. Salvation. Transformation. Something big and wide or small but everywhere. Something that could give the world filled with smoke and virus and war and sadness and so much brokenness real hope. The possibility of transformation. Something more, better than breathing, soot-filled air. I think that's what Jesus is getting at when he's like, the meal of the miraculously abundant bread and fish when you ate your fill, it was good, but there's something more even. Jesus is like, don't seek me because you had your fill of bread, but because you thirst for life. Do you thirst for life? That's just a different question than do you want to go to Sunday school? When Jesus says he will quench thirst, satisfy hunger, it sure doesn't seem like he's setting up an opposition between the physical and the spiritual, making some pronouncement about the inferiority of the material world, our bodies, cells, atoms, earth, in comparison to higher atomless, cell-free reality. He's, he's talking about satisfying our deepest human desires eternally. That seems so crazy and deeply gorgeous and hard to believe. Whoever comes to him will never be hungry. I can't say I understand it. But I love the imagery. It doesn't sound like Jesus is telling people to get down on their knees and invite him into their hearts by saying some formulaic little prayer or else they will perish in the flames of hell, you know? It's like he wants to give us something that will fill us in a way nothing else can. It's puzzling, but it sounds good, delicious even, nourishing. What's the work of God, the people ask? They want what he promises, but they don't understand how to get it. When he says, believe in me, it's not about some desire he has to be their guru. It's that the work of God isn't something you do. It's something you're given. Like food. Like food so dense with super nutrients or something that it can heal damaged cells, can can change the whole structure of your being in the world. The food, the life he's promising is obviously more or 
different somehow than the food we're used to eating. Almost like we're not fully alive, not as alive as we could be, not full in the way we might be. And it has to do with how we relate to other people. It's about relationship, love, generosity, and openness. We're used to a sort of bad diet. We believe in hierarchies of being. We live in a world in a way that constantly creates good life for some by dehumanizing some other. As if this is the only food available, the only way to do it. We can only get life for us by, by taking it from them. We, we can only believe in our goodness by believing in their badness. It's, it's a kind of pinched and cramped and ungenerous way of being. Jesus wants us to believe in him, not that other thing. Not the way that feeds on believing we're better than them, that takes life from the other, but rather the bread of life, eternal life. It's, it's not about giving our lives to a megalomaniac. It's about losing the need to draw lines between us and them. It requires a significant perceptual shift. That might be putting it too mildly. It requires repentance, is how the gospel often puts it. A turning around, a new way of seeing, a new way of forming our identities. We're used to our identities being formed over against some people or thing. Who are we? Well, we aren't like them. This has reached such an obviously destructive point in the USA today. And and it can seem like our scapegoating, our disdain for them, our line drawing feeds us. Like we're nourished somehow by laughing at the bad people. And I mean, it really does seem true to me often that I need some political satire, some Trevor Noah or Stephen Colbert to survive. But it can be pretty easily that that isn't the bread of life. I mean, it's utterly obvious to me when the Proud Boys are doing their scapegoating. It's less obvious when it's me and my people doing the scapegoating. When I'm reinforcing my unity with Jim, say, by enumerating the failings of our neighbors. We, we might mostly be joking, but it feels uniting. It works. But I can believe it's not really nutritious. It's not good for the body, not good for the life of the world or the neighborhood. It's unity at the expense of the other. When Jesus says, believe in me, it's not like subjugate yourself to my hierarchy. It's like, let me feed you something better. Something that will induct you into a new human way of belonging, of being, without any over against. Like, You've never seen the abounding beauty of the full spectrum of light. Life lived without vengeance or envy or competition or hypocrisy or hate. Maybe it's hard to give all that up. Maybe it's not something you can do exactly. But maybe we can at least believe a little in that way, the light that sets us free. Maybe slowly over time, will be opened up. The old ways lose their grip. I think we're being fed the bread of life. We're eating it.
we are being given the opportunity to be formed not by the designs of the world where the other is continually scapegoated, but to be formed instead to receive our life from God who loves the world, the whole world, our enemies, those we scapegoat, the world entirely. I think it's important where we aim our belief or something, even, even if we aren't quite successful in practicing. I think that could be what believing in Jesus is like. James Allison says, Faith is about being able to imagine the goodness of God, a goodness that is so creative and boundless and inexhaustible that it can somehow encompass it all, every broken person, every dying planet in redemptive love. We are being given the imagination for that. Believing in Jesus isn't so much pledging allegiance or subjugating yourself to a master. It's more like beginning to see the light. Stepping through a door that's been opened, saying, yes, I believe in that way, even if I fail to practice it. Eat the bread. beautiful heaven prepared for the pure and the free these truths in God's word he has given how beautiful heaven must be how beautiful heaven must be sweet home of the happy and free fair of rest for the weary how beautiful heaven must be angels so sweetly are singing you've been listening to the house of mercy podcast you can experience all this live every sunday at five check out www.houseofmercy.org for all the details house of mercy is a church in saint paul you should come it's not that bad how beautiful heaven must be, sweet home of the happy and free, fair haven of rest for the weary. How beautiful heaven must be, how beautiful heaven must be.